We invite diverse groups of team members from all backgrounds, regions, and job titles to be a guest on our podcast. We recognize that you are one person and can only speak from your perspective and do not expect you to be a representative of your entire community. Though we appreciate your willingness to engage in an open dialogue and to come and have a platform to speak freely about your experiences and perspectives. So it's important for us to understand what diversity, equity, and inclusion are when we're talking about it. And diversity really is speaking about differences in a group. So diverse workplace, diverse workforce. And in order for us to get to that diversity, we must be engaging in equity and creating inclusion. And so equity is that starting line where we're not all at the same place. And equitable policies that combat and dismantle systems of oppression are really what we're working for, um, to be treated fairly and equally so that we can have that diversity and inclusion. And inclusion is people feeling heard, seen, and valued. And from Larry's perspective, diversity, equity, and inclusion is about hearing all voices. And so that inclusion piece is hearing all voices. And the equitable piece is creating policies that support those voices being heard so that we can create those diverse workplaces and not just diverse workplaces, but also diverse communities. That's really the intention of having a DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. What's important for us to note here is that we must be careful when we as workplaces are going out and seeking the feedback of people of color, black and brown workers, and African-American workers, as it can be taken as entitled when we require someone to give us an answer on how to navigate diversity, equity, and inclusion. So essentially what I'm trying to say is that when we are seeking to create a diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace, we want to make sure that we are asking team members if they are willing to engage in the conversation and know that it is the responsibility of the of the leadership to do the research and the legwork to figure out what is necessary but essentially what we want what we want to encourage is we do want to encourage within the workplace people uh, seeking to create these more um, equitable policies that combat and dismantle systematic oppression. And in that process, we want to be sensitive and careful to the emotional bank of the people that we're asking for support. Though we appreciate Larry taking the time to come and speak with us, we know that Larry represents himself and his own experiences. And it's important that we continue to create a safe place and a platform for 
many people to come and share their experiences and to know that it's not on their shared experiences and not on them to make the changes, but on the listeners and the community to engage in that behavior change together. We are so grateful to have had the opportunity to talk about this tough subject and we want to continue this conversation and create a platform for more discussion about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace and in our communities. Happy Black History Month. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to It Takes a Village, an ABA podcast. Today we have with us Larry Aldridge III, a senior sociology major in Georgia and a recently certified registered behavior technician at Cadient for the last two months. And we are so excited to get the opportunity to chat with Larry Aldridge III today. Welcome, Larry. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. It's so great to be here. We are very excited to have the opportunity to ask you questions and for you to be able to share your experience with us. Because as we get more experiences shared with us, our hope is that it opens the opportunities for others to reach out and share their experiences too. Yes. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what are your interests? Um, you know, I'm a country boy from America's Georgia, born and raised. Um, three siblings, two parents, of course. Um, I come from a pretty big family. Um, my mom has eight siblings. My dad had three. My dad had four siblings. Um, and so pretty big family, really used to working with kids and being with kids a lot. Um, I moved to Atlanta in 2017 to start at Morehouse, um, and I'm getting ready to finish up there with my degree. And I stumbled across ABA at Morehouse, actually, my sophomore year. How? Like, did you take a course? Was there a teacher there that really interested you? So my department head, at the time I was still a um, psychology major. And so at the time, my department chair, Dr. Johannes Murray, um, he convinced me to go to a talk that the department was hosting. And he convinced me to come through food. Um, There was going to be free pizza. And I was like, okay, I'm a broke college student. I'm going to go get free pizza. And so I went and as soon as our speaker started sharing, she was a black woman in the field, um, been working in this field for quite some time. And she had some great stories to share with us and so you know immediately I was like okay the food is nice but what she's talking about I like that and that was my first introduction to ABA oh my goodness and and, and so what did you do prior to becoming a behavior technician I know that you said that you moved to Georgia for uh, college and and being a broke college student pizza is quite delicious right that's a great motivator and you learned all about that (laughs) Quickly. Right. So what were you doing before you went to that talk or in that transition period between when you heard it and you got into becoming a behavior technician? So in between that time, I did a couple of different things. Um, I got more involved on campus and fulfilled some dreams that I had of 
you know, events that I wanted to plan and organizations I wanted to be a part of and the different ways I wanted to advocate for my fellow students. Um, I did some of that. I worked for Smash Morehouse, which is a STEM program that allows young black and brown men to come live on Morehouse campus during the summer. And during that time, I really developed my ability to work with youth because I knew how to, but in that time, that's when I really used my skills and, you know, practice makes perfect. And so when you have something and you're not using it, it isn't growing. And so that's the time in which working with kids really grew on me and I learned how to navigate a space similar to what I'm doing now. And so interesting kids and community do you think that came from having such a large family or is that just something that is part of who you are between the large family and my grandfather being a preacher it definitely my childhood definitely led me to where I am and giving back to that community huh what drew you to the ABA field I know that you said that you went to a talk and you really um you heard a lot of stories that you could really relate to what was it about those stories or can you remember anything about the talk that really sparked that fire inside of you so there were several different stories that she gave us, but um, just the different success stories and the way that she shared how she connected with her clients and how she's still a big part of their life, even though she isn't directly working with them anymore. And when she started to share with me how many of these clients are children of African descent and black and brown children and how they're the majority of the client base well not majority but they're a large amount of the client base however there isn't a lot of representation in the field clinician wise and so that's what got my interest because i always wanted to be in this field sort of like a mental health type of work and i've always been bothered by the fact that across the spectrum in mental health work there is a smaller percentage of representation for my community. And that leads to stigmas throughout my community. And that leads to children not being treated the way that they need to and not receiving care that they need to, not because no one wants to give it, but because we're been, we've been so detached from that, we don't know how to give it. And we don't know how to accept it. And we don't know how to go to these different things. Right. And the practitioners in the field themselves don't have the access to really understand how we can adapt our behavior to address those very, those cultural nuances that you really have to address. I think one of the ones that was the most impactful for me when I first started was around the, um, the uh, sort of uh, Eastern Asian cultures when it came to eye contact. Eye contact should not be held for a long time. It's seen as disrespectful. And it was something I really didn't understand until I started to be able to talk to people and ask questions. And I think that this is a really great lead into what does diversity, equity, and inclusion look like? Diversity, equity, and inclusion looks like all voices being heard. Um, It looks like all employees feeling like they can say what they need to say at any given time. It looks like informal spaces and clear-cut conversations. 
it loses the blue collar formal established identity we've given it really because when you become diverse and you include everyone you include their experiences you include their backgrounds you don't just include them being an employee you include their entire being what they bring to the table, right? And I think that all voices matter. And it's that voices piece, right? Because often in ABA, we'll talk about someone who is non-vocal as non-verbal. And it's like, no, they're still giving off their verbal cues. They're just not using their voice. And when you translate it here, it's like that voice is what we work so hard on developing for our clients. And we need to be able to accept that communication so that we can change, right? Because without that participation and being able to hear others' experiences, it's hard for you to change on both sides. And thank you so much for being here and being so willing to share your experience. Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. What responsibility do, do you think an organization has to support diversity, equity, and inclusion? Any organization that strives to be, that strives to make diversity, equity, and inclusion a part of all of their strategies and a part of all of their workplace ethics and a part of everything that they do, the first thing that you have to do is have a diverse and inclusive leadership. Um, without diverse and inclusive leadership, there's no one at the boardroom table to speak on behalf of a large amount of communities that we serve. And that is the first step, in my opinion. Now, I can't say that that's everyone's opinion. I can't say that that would work for every black and brown individual. However, I know in my eyes, if I don't see anyone that looks like me in leadership, I immediately feel like, okay, I can't speak as much in this space. Not because that is the intent Intention of leadership, but that is this country based on history, not opinion, but fact. Um, and so al that alongside with listening to the people of color in the um, in the company, in the organization, specifically this month, Black History Month, you can't do. And one thing I love about Katie, um, we're very involved and we ask for opinions before we just put things out. And I appreciate that because if you are not listening to Black voices, how can you post about Black History Month? And that's why I love that Katie checks with us. We get emails and we say, it's not, we need you to answer. It's, would you mind helping us? Would you mind giving us input? Would you mind telling us what we're doing wrong so that we can be conscious about it, work on it, and fix it? Not just a, oh, we're wrong. We're going to do this to be right. And we're going to move on because that does not solve the issue of unconscious bias. And, and, you know, often in our field, we talk about rights and responsibilities, especially as our clients start to get older. They have a right to be supported and a responsibility to fully engage in their support. And I think that this really applies here, too, on an organizational level. And when you're coming from non-African-American or non-Black or Brown people, it is your responsibility to take the action, to reach out, to ask questions. And yes, if you're right, 
to have those questions answered, but it is absolutely your responsibility to do the work, to reach out and to ask. And when you're reaching out, you're asking, like you said, and not saying, excuse me, Larry, you're going to tell me what I need to know so that I can be more inclusive. No. Because Because I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Exactly. And that is you perpetuating what we're talking about here, like asking and seeing if if someone's willing to participate in the discussion and respecting that they're not. And I, and I just really appreciate that you bring your opinion of like the responsibility of an organization is to create a platform first and foremost. Thank you. Thank you. Please tell me more. I would love to hear it. So it's just, it's strange when you're entering a space and you have to, as a black African-American individual, however you want to identify. I know some people prefer to say black, some people like the term African-American. I prefer to say black. Um, But as a black individual, entering a new space is always interesting because you have to read the room. You have to know what you're doing, where you are, what you're dealing with. And one thing I can say about Katie, we have as a team made an effort to make sure that you feel welcome in every space, no matter whether or not, you know, the other person in the room or the other people in the room all look like you, there'll be someone. And while we can all, you know, across the field, everyone can improve. Everyone can be more diverse. Of course, everyone can be more inclusive because society is forever changing. People are forever evolving. And as people grow, companies must grow. Because if companies aren't growing, you're not going to be able to keep people. And so that, I think that's why diversity, equity, and inclusion has really boomed in these last few years amidst social unrest and a need for social justice in this country. And amidst you know, all of the different voices that have begun to be able to speak up because for a long time we couldn't. A lot of people are now able to speak up and say this is no longer going to work. And so now a lot of companies, not all, because there are some that still have a lot to do, not in our field, but certain people. Um, And so it's just to see the desire to advance. Um, Even if for some people at their companies, it might not be as fast as they would like. But to see that there's at least a move and a change in the direction of where we have been going to where we are now trying to go, is it's appreciated. It's very nice to see. Right. And as you brought up, laws create culture and policies create that culture and ensuring that you are including all voices in the creation of those policies and of those laws. Because what we don't think about is that the laws that we operate in this country were developed Mm -hmm. by primarily white men. And Mm -hmm. it is time for a change and time for all voices to be heard in policies. And addressing it one company at a time is a very uh, actionable way to take steps towards that change. And what do you... What are some ways you have seen or would like to see improvements in the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts at Cadian and in the ABA field in general? 
Um, specifically in the ABA field in general, I would like to see more black and brown BTs. Um, one thing I will say that can apply to the entire field, Katie included, and this is something I'm working on to try and not change, but develop here at Cadian is HBCU recruitment. Um, I the only time I heard of ABA therapy was the one talk that introduced me to it. There are no agencies on my campus trying to recruit BTs, even though college students would be perfect for this role. We love working with children. We have the time. We have the energy. <laughs> we would like there are so many of my peers that would love to be working in this position. And so one thing that I would definitely like to see more of is specifically HBCU recruitment. And if an agency isn't in an area where there are any HBCUs, go to those college campuses, find the Black Student Union, find the minority student unions, go to the minority fraternity organizations, go to the Divine Nine fraternity, you know, Divine Nine fraternity and sorority organizations and tap into our talent pool because it's here and it's thriving and it's growing. It's up to the companies to come. It's not our responsibility to, it's not our responsibility to perform for companies to meet a diversity, equity, and inclusion quota. It is the company's responsibility to desire a diverse workplace, to to desire a inclusive workplace, to make sure that all policies and strategies are equitable amongst all people. It is the company's responsibility to seek the workforce they desire to have. It's not our job to come and make your workplace friendly, um, quite frankly. And I, I, I wish I could have phrased it nicer, but to be frank, that's not our responsibility. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think I, there's no apologies necessary. Go throw that one in the shredder. We don't need that here, okay? Because this is this is there is no apologies necessary for you speaking the absolute truth. It is the company's responsibility to do the legwork and reach out. And and that is what develops that diverse diversified and equitable and inclusive environment because when the role is reversed and you're asking someone to come in and break into your environment but you have not created an environment that's going to support them it's one of our antecedent strategies that we teach behavior technicians is environmental manipulation and if the environment is not manipulated to encourage or motivate or reinforce someone entering and staying in the environment then it is not on the organism or the individual to change it it is on the person in charge of the environment And have you seen any ways that you've really liked how Katie has adapted the environment or the ABA bill has adapted the environment to be more inclusive? Or are we still at that stage where more, I mean, I feel like we're always more needs to be done always, but Mm -hmm. do you see progress towards the DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion? 
I see progress. Um, I currently serve on the Diversity Ethics and Inclusion Committee here at KD. So I definitely see the progress and I see all of the work that everyone is doing and I appreciate it, but there's always a ways to go. There's always more to say. Give me just a second. My computer is dying. (laughs) Technical issues here. We must get charged. In the time of COVID, (laughs) there's always something. Right? Well, and I think this is a beautiful example of how we pivot to our environment, right? When our tech is going out, we need to run and get a charger. When we're seeing that we're not inclusive, we need to run and get a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee so that we can start working towards that. And so one thing I love about Katie is that we have already taken the step to develop and listen to and actually have that committee doing different projects and working with different things. Um, Of course, like I said, there's still a ways to go for some companies that don't even have that committee. Once you do have that committee, it's time to have someone for that committee to report to where diversity, equity and inclusion is what they do. Um, Just because it's a lot to be spread out amongst people. Um, And the projects that we do are magnificent. I love them. And I've signed up to be a part of several of them. But there has to be someone that is pushing this 24-7. Because if no one is putting in a generous amount of time on this, and not to say that anyone isn't, many people are, but I'm just saying, as far as leadership and as far as making sure that everything reaches the top level and everything from the top level gets all the way down to the baseline, just making sure that there's clear transparency on what's being worked on and what's being pushed and what's new and what are we developing and what ideas do you guys have? I feel like we could develop more if we had that. And that's not just specific to Cadian. That's my view on the ABA field. Yes. yes. More leadership of people that are black and brown so that you can see that representation. And oh, yes, that is where I'm going. That is me right there. That's something that I've at least seen. And I, um, I personally love that Cadian has a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee because I feel it is our responsibility to be the ones out there taking the action. And my personal opinion is that we need more people in leadership. Um, We need even more behavior technicians. One of the most heartbreaking things for me is to go in and support a child and have a behavior technician that doesn't look even similar to them. And it's like, (gasps) I promise you, baby, like we love you the way you are. We're going to find more people and we're going to diversify this for you because that's our job. We're the adults. And we need to set the pathway for these children to see that you are all accepted exactly the way you come and more representation is needed. We're not it, it helps to see how far you can go when you see people in position, when you see people with the correct posture and you see people doing the work that benefits your life, it makes you want to go and benefit someone else. And it's 
it's hard to find even statistics in this field on how many black BCBAs we have, how many black RBTs we have. It, I searched on end and I could not find any specific statistics. The only <laughs> the only general idea of representation in the ABA field is that there is not enough. And I was going through article after article, blog after blog, and I was like, okay, we're all talking about it. When are we going to work? Ooh, and transition to my next question, okay? So your region director in our Atlanta region, Diane Bakey, mm-hmm. was the one who initially connected you to our podcast team, and she mentioned that you have a strong interest in supporting recruitment efforts that align with serving clients in underserved areas. Could you speak a little bit about that? Please. Yes. And so that goes back to the HBCU recruitment initiative I pushed, as well as the different strategies that different people can use, different companies can use to really tap in and (laughs) recruit members of different communities. Um, Because as long as we're going to predominantly white institutions, quite frankly, and we are all looking like the majority of those institutions, those are going to be the majority of people that we recruit. Because if I walk past a table at a career fair and I don't see anyone that looks like me, I don't want to work at a company where I'm the only voice. I don't want to have to be the voice of everyone. That's a big responsibility. No one wants that responsibility. (laughs) Um, Not because we don't want to do the work, not because we don't want to push for change, but because... I can't be everyone's voice because once you start trying to be everyone's voice, you lose your own. And so that's why committees are important. That's why departments are important are important when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's why so many companies have full departments. That's why they have full subcommittees within HR departments, just so that people are consistently grooming this and pushing this and making sure that we are forever evolving with society. You never want to get to a point in a company where society has left you behind. Because once you are gone, you are gone. It is extremely hard to come back from being a company where you don't have anyone that looks like the clients you serve. Clients are going to stop coming to you. Parents are going to raise that issue. It's going to be noticed and it won't take long It never takes long. Um, And that's speaking from personal experience because my workplace experience is fairly, I'm fairly new still. Um, And so that's just from a personal experience. That's from seeing different families growing up, using different types of services to assist them with their children. And the most common issue was they don't look like us. And so I would love to work in a space here in Cadian where I can be a part of developing strategies and making plans and being intentional with every detail, quote from Beyonce and Solange, um, every detail must have intention. And so I just feel like that's definitely a step we can take as a field, as a company, and a step I would like to take personally.
not to advocate for myself in any way on that behalf, but just because that's where my heart is. Well, and I appreciate how you explain that one person's experience is one person's experience. And and helping listeners like myself to understand why we can't just ask one person why mm-hmm. because now you're you, you're asking that person to represent an entire subset of people an entire uh, huge culture and you need those multiple experiences and i just so appreciate that feedback i have noticed too that being in the on the marketing team myself one of the efforts that i've noticed and i wonder if it was impactful for you at all is we make a very conscious effort when we're using stock photos to ensure Mm -hmm. that we're using diverse stock photos because let me just tell you Larry I have the same issue when we look for stock photos white people everywhere and I'm like no this is not always like represent Mm -hmm. here this is ridiculous and you have to work so hard to find those and yet they're so important and we don't we don't accept any less here at Cadient and I wonder if that is a uh, was impactful for you at all or is a step in the right direction I mentioned that during my interview. <laughs> um, when I got my interview for Katie, Katie, I went into the interview and we got towards the end and I was asked, you know, do you have any questions? I said, well, I'm looking through all of these because I was talking with multiple agencies and I was telling everyone, I said, um, I'm looking at all of these multiple websites, just not you know, your companies, but I'm looking at all of these websites and I'm looking at all of these leadership teams and they don't look like me. However, I know that your client base looks a lot like me. So how is this working? What are you all doing to improve? What are you all doing to make a change? How many black BCBAs do you have? Are you putting black RBTs on route to become BCBAs? What does growth look like for black and brown people in this company? Um, I went in with all of those questions because I refuse to go in a space where I won't be watered. I know that I am. I know my work ethic. Um, I know my value. And I know that whatever team I'm a part of, I'm giving 110% because I want to grow consistently. And so I most definitely came in with those issues and those questions. And part of the reason why I chose Katie is because Katie and had the most diverse website. Can we do better? Always. Can we take our own stock photos? I would like to see it. But it's just, it's not that easy. Um, There's a lot of planning that goes into that. However, Canyon doesn't mind doing the work. And that was one of the things that I saw early on that really made me interested in Canyon and made me want to grow at Canyon and help Canyon grow at the same time. And I think it's important to understand that Canadian is pioneering these practices because we, it needs to be replicated. We want to show that it can be done and it can be done well and it can be replicated and should be replicated and generalized, really. Everybody Indeed. can understand it in every environment across all humans. Um, and, and I think that you've given our listeners not only some great examples of how organizations can act actually take action towards making change towards diversity, equity, and 
and inclusion through their recruitment efforts, um, through their marketing efforts, through their leadership efforts, who they're recruiting in their leadership. But you also gave a few really great examples for people who are entry level or interviewing that you can ask questions Mm -hmm. when you're in the interview. And I would just love for you to talk a little bit more about that because I think a lot of people go into interviews thinking like, I'm being asked questions. I need to be prepared to answer them. Mm -hmm. What you really talked about was I need to be watered. It's important that I fit into the Mm -hmm. company as well. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Yes, I would love to actually. So, um, that's actually a new practice for me. That's something I had to, I had to work on. I had to grow to this place. It's not just, uh, I woke up and I said, I deserve the world. I don't think the world owes me anything. Of course not. But I know what I bring to the table and I had to have a long, I had to do some self-reflection. I had to do a lot of self-evaluation and I had to realize I'm worth more than what I'm getting in some in some spaces, and so I won't enter. I refuse to enter any spaces where I, I'm not being served. I'm not being watered, because if I'm going to be planted here, I have to grow. You don't put a plant in a dark space, don't water it. That's not how you take care of things. And I deserve to be taken care of in every sense of my life, every aspect of my life. And so, it really just boiled down to for me. There's always another job. If they can't handle these questions, they can't handle me. They don't know how to serve me. They just want me to serve them. And this has to be a mutual exchange for me to be happy in my life overall, because work is so much of our lives in this country. I require that I'm happy at work. I require that I'm in a space where people understand me. I require that I'm in a space where I can ask questions. I can get support. And so if I can't ask you those questions in an interview, I probably shouldn't have accepted the interview. What are some questions that you would recommend for someone going into an interview um, to, to, to really see if this is the right fit for them, especially coming from your background and your experience, of course? As an HBCU student, one of my first tests is to see if they know where my institution is located. Um, HBCUs have created, and I'm going to speak from that perspective for just a moment, but HBCUs have created some of the, not created, but have developed and supported some of the most influential people we've seen in this country. Dr. Martin Luther King went to Morehouse College, Samuel L. Jackson, Morehouse College, Spike Lee, Morehouse College, Senator Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, Morehouse College, Stacey Abrams, Spelman College, you know, these big names, Kenya Bears, Clark Atlanta University, Pinky Cole, owner of Slutty Vegan, Clark Atlanta University, and that's just the three HBCUs within the AUC in Atlanta. And so if all of these people have made all of these big developments in the local community and across the country and in film and in all these under industries, and you don't know anything about their educational background, but you quote them every Black History Month, that's an issue for me. And so as an HBCU student, that's the first test for a company. Are you diverse or do you just have it listed on your website? The next questions I always tell people, ask about the pay. 
don't be afraid to ask questions about pay. You have bills to pay. They have bills to pay. You are working for them to pay their bills. They need to be working to pay yours. It's, it's a new thing. I will say I have, I'm definitely conscious that that is a new practice for a lot of people. And I'm conscious that it's not easy for a lot of people to do. And I understand that I have cisgender privilege. I have male privilege. You know, I understand these things while they may not supersede other obstacles at all times in certain spaces they can. And so as a man, I may be allowed to ask these questions more freely. And I apologize that it is that way. And I apologize if I come off in a way to where I haven't thought about that, but I do want to say that I have. And I do want to say that it once again is the responsibility of the company to make everyone comfortable. And so once again, we're back on the company side. What are you all doing to make people feel like they can ask the questions that are pertinent to them accepting this role? Because if you're hiring people and you're not telling them the salary until you're sending an offer, you're not properly advertising. And what I truly appreciate about this entire interview is that you are so open to answering questions and yet you have this very eloquent and firm way of putting it right back on the listeners. Now it, I've given you information. Now go do your work. Go yes. do right? Companies, go do your work. You have been given feedback. You have homework to do because we are in a space and we're in a time where after this pandemic, if we ever get out of it at this point, nothing will ever be the same. We are, as all ethnic communities, all people of color are watching companies and we're watching the responses. There was an attack on the Capitol recently. Racial tensions are at an all-time high. What are you doing? What are you saying? Are you, what side of history do you want to be on? It's, um, and yes, these are sensitive topics. However, your answer depends on what you view humanity, how you view humanity. It depends on the practices that you place in your everyday life. It depends on the people you surround yourself with and the mindset you have. And so, it's always going to be the company's responsibility because this this country runs on money. The company has the money. Okay. It's the company's job. And oh, I'm so sorry. Like you no. said at the beginning of your of our interview, it, it's the conversation and the dialogue that's necessary. Even though mm-hmm. these are tough conversations to have. And you know, I, I am a, a white woman. And so uh, getting just this opportunity to talk to you about such an important topic was such a blessing for myself. And it created some nerves for me and some unpleasant feelings inside. And what we have to remember is I get to choose to interview you. You didn't get to choose to be a black male. And so mm-hmm. you are forced to endure endure these, these unpleasant feelings. And it is an honor to get the opportunity to talk about such a tough subject with you. Um, and, and it's, it's our responsibility to engage in these conversations and dialogues and just so appreciate you being willing to share your story and being so open. What piece of advice do you have for supervisors and organizations supporting black and brown clinicians in ABA? 
Thank you so much for one being conscious of the nature of our dialogue and the context and everything that it requires. Um, I do appreciate that. And I want to make sure I make that note. As far as supervisors and organizations, I mean, there are readings you can do. There are several lists. And if you Google, what do I need to read to be more diverse, you'll get thousands of references. If you tweet, you'll get millions of responses about this. Um, People are willing to give you People have given several ways to grow, several, there are courses, there are trainings you can sign up for, there are workshops that people do, people do master classes. Um, And that's speaking to the company level, to the organization level. Um, It's up to the, you know, that kind of strategic thinking and that type of problem solving you know, that kind of mindset has to come from the top down. And so when I say that part, we're speaking directly to the company because at the supervisor level, it's your responsibility to make sure you create. And I know a lot of people haven't really adapted this practice, but here at Katie, we have support supervisors. And so one thing I really love about that, and that was another reason why I chose Katie. Um, But one thing I love about that is it creates a workspace that isn't as formal and it's really all about you getting what you need out of the company and not just the company getting labor out of you because no one should be dreaming of labor but if we have to do labor it should be like this it should be a space where you can address your concerns whenever needed not uh you have to hold it in for six months and then you explode because you're so upset no we we have the opportunity to address these things. And so one thing I will definitely suggest to supervisors in the entire field is just make sure that you are creating a space where your supervisees feel that they can talk to you, not only about things that make you comfortable, not only about things that you have a solid answer to. It's okay to not have an answer. It's okay to say, I don't know what I'm talking about here. It's okay to say, I need to be more educated on this but it's not okay to create a space where important topics can't be discussed. Especially if those important topics affect the motivation of the person that you're supervising. Mm -hmm. And what's so important is just as we teach our behavior technicians to build rapport or build relationships with our clients, the same needs to be had with our RBTs and our BTs. It's like, who are you, Larry? What makes you happy? What makes you motivated? Mm -hmm. And then being able to adapt your approach to meet that motivation. And don't worry, listeners, we will be attaching some articles to this podcast interview directly from our DEI committee or Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Um, Because as Larry said, yes, you can go onto Google and do a Google search. And here at Cadian, we are evidence-based and ethical. And the um, the articles that we read amongst our supervisors are intended for this purpose, what Larry has just spoken about here, getting to know your supervisee, getting to know how to have those tough conversations, and getting to 
eat some humble pie and wear your humble backpack as a supervisor and saying, I don't know, Larry, I'm going to get back to you, sir. Like, I will, I'm going to reach out and find out what I can. So how have you been able, I know you spoke just a really little bit about this, but I would love to ask this uh, question directly, if okay with you. How have you been able to cope with the compounded stressors of 2020, moving into 2021 with the pandemic, the ongoing Black Lives Matter movement, work and life? To be quite honest, I've just been surviving. Um, it's different or, you know, the pandemic hit and, but Black Lives Matter, while it may have just became popular, the conversations that come from the movement, the conversations that workplaces now have, that's been conversations I've had since the age of two. Um, and so that, while it has added stress, seeing these things go viral and seeing them every time I open Twitter and every time I open Instagram, of course, that's definitely added stress, but it's our reality. Um, and I'm a very reality-based person. I love probability. I love hoping. I love dreaming. But I base myself in reality. Well, I base myself in faith. But I make sure that I have the lenses and the perspective to see reality. And so the biggest change has been talking about it in a workplace. Um, because before now, I was all... I, <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. Um, I'm not gonna go there. I've been in workplaces where I have left a job yeah. because of the extremely racial undertones, the extreme political and unethical and disrespectful and discriminatory personal practices of supervisors. Because if that's what you're doing right before you walk in the door, you might not consciously be doing anything to harm me, but I can feel the subconscious effects. And see, that's one thing as people we have to learn to understand. Whenever someone comes to you and say, hey, the way you did this upset me, you might not have intended that, but your good intentions do not outweigh bad actions. You are still responsible for how you how you did that and what you did to someone. Your intentions go out the window once you have once you have caused harm. Because yes, you might not have meant it like that, but if it comes off to them like that, it's going to come off to someone else like that. And so now you have to adjust to be more inclusive. And that's not a race thing. That's not a sexuality thing. That's a human thing. And that's something in our culture that we've actually been shaped to be averse to or to avoid is receiving feedback and implementing that feedback as if that feedback process is, says something about you as a person not being good enough. No, what that feedback process is about is you understanding how your intended impact actually impacted somebody and how you can adjust yourself in the future to get to that intended impact. Larry, I have the most amazing support supervisor who has actually helped me through this myself because you might not be able to tell, but I'm a little bit of a vivacious person and I uh, jump the gun some, or I, I jump the moment sometimes and I say things and 
I was raised as a white woman. I have a lot of learning to do. And let me just tell you, Larry, it is not the most comfortable thing when I have just said something that is biased or bigotry or could be taken as racism. But boy, do I appreciate the feedback. Tell me. I'll go home and cry. It's my burden to carry because I'm about to change whatever I just did because that's not happening again. That is not fair to the person receiving it. And it's your job as a supervisor. And the desire to change is what is key in that moment. And I appreciate that you noted that because if the person you're dealing with doesn't have a desire to change, those instances are just as frequent, honestly, more frequent than having people who are willing to change. And so that's why I, that's a part of why I enjoy working at KDM so much because everyone I've come in contact with, even if they, they did not fully understand what I may have been saying at a certain time, they've had a desire to change. They've had a desire to educate themselves and get to a place where they can understand why I felt that way. And they have allowed me to express my thoughts not in a, you know, a confrontational manner, of course, but in a manner that says X, Y, Z leads to ABC. And two plus two equals four in this equation. And while you might not have this variable, it's present. So let me write it in on your worksheet and you go rework that equation. Yes, and, and like the labor structures that our support supervisors have support supervisors and they mm-hmm. have support supervisors because the whole point is philosophical doubt. We actually don't know what to do. And until we have leadership that represents our black, brown community, we are going to be engaging in this Kaizen process because that is what is necessary. Exactly. Oh. Larry, thank you so much. Just a, just a couple thank final you. questions because... I know that you have to get out of here and I just am so happy that we've had the opportunity to get to chat today, but I'm definitely enjoying this. I'm so happy to hear. Thank you because I want you to enjoy this because I am, and I know our listeners are going to just love this. Um, How do you unwind and care for your mental health? (laughs) I leave work at work. Um, I understand that in salary positions and, you know, different, even hourly positions, some people do have to do work at home. Some people are working from home. And so creating a work schedule that works for you is extremely important. Um, the hours of nine to five won't always work for everyone. And I'm glad that I'm seeing companies change and be open to the fact that sometimes people are going to send different things in at different times. And that's okay as long as it gets sent in. Um, And so when I'm off, I'm off. Um, I read, I write, I breathe, I hang out with my friends, I catch up on trashy television. I do any things that create joy. If it does not create joy, it's not self-care. What? Change is self-care, though. And change doesn't get you. And see, even in moments like that, you have to be able to reflect on your words because your words have power and your words can create your reality. And so even in times like that, I have to check myself because change doesn't always create joy, but it does in the long run. And see, sometimes you have to stop focusing on every small detail. Sometimes you need to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. 
it all depends on that moment and that time in your life and whatever season you're in. Well, and thank you for really highlighting that. There's those those short-term things that you do that do create the immediate joy. And there's those long-term, like the delayed discounting, like putting in all of this work for a very long-term outcome. But that outcome... <laughs> That is what we're working towards. That is worth every sweat and tear, every conversation, every unpleasant feeling inside. Let's have these dialogues. Thank you so much for being here, Larry Aldrich the Third. Are there any last thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope to be back. I would love to keep working with you guys on anything you guys have like this that is pushing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please don't be don't be afraid to reach out to me because I love this kind of work. Well, this will not be the last you'll be hearing from us, Larry. And for all those listening out there, please feel free to reach out and share your experience too. Larry reached out to his region director and was interested in that's how we got here. So just reach out. We would love to hear your experiences. And again, we had the wonderful opportunity to talk with Larry Aldrich III, a senior sociology major in Georgia, um, and also a recent registered behavior technician or RBT. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us, Larry, and for having this tough and awesome dialogue. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for being open to the dialogue and taking note and being understanding and conscious and present in the moment. This has been a Cadient production.